All right, well, we are starting a new study today. I know, not that anything was wrong with our old study, going through angels and demons, that was great, but we're gonna be going through the book of Proverbs, which I'm excited about. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while, and we kept having different uh, teachings that we felt we needed to do instead. But now we have the opportunity to go through Proverbs. However, we're not going to go through chapter by chapter. Uh, today we are going to be starting in Proverbs 1, but we're actually going to be breaking it up by themes. And so we'll do, um, I think next week we're talking about our speech. Proverbs has all kinds of stuff to say about speech, uh, about parenting, about finances. Uh, we will look at Proverbs chapter 8. That's another single chapter that is unique and special and um, I'm kind of excited to look at that. Thank you. But as I said, today we're going to be starting in Proverbs 1. Um, but we're not going to be going to Proverbs 1. I actually want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 4. And while you're doing that, I will read how Proverbs 1 starts off for us. It says in Proverbs 1.1, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So with that introduction let's as i said look at first kings chapter four and can i get a volunteer to read for us verses 29 through the end of the chapter through 34 please there goes. thanks andy now god gave solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of egypt for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezrahite, Heman, Kelkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. All right. Thank you. I didn't realize those hard names were in there. When hard I asked hard you to names, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you got it. Nobody else, so that's I good. I was going to say he, man. That didn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. It's close enough. All right. So I wanted to go to this passage because it talks about Solomon, right? Solomon, who gave us the Proverbs, who wrote down the Proverbs that we're going to be looking at. And... Within this passage, it talks about how Solomon got his wisdom, not from himself, right? But God is the one who gave wisdom to Solomon. And it says in verse 32 that he spoke 3,000 Proverbs. Anybody want to take a stab at how many Proverbs we have within the book of Proverbs? Got 30 More than that, 104 or 42 it's, it's like basically 30, almost 30 per chapter. There's 31 really, chapters. But they don't really start, though, until like 700. Uh, you were on the right track before when you said 30 per chapter. Nine. 915 Proverbs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Google. I didn't go through and count them all. It was just Google. Um, but, yeah, this... In 1 Kings 4.32, so that he spoke 3,000 Proverbs, uh, only 915 of them are within the book of Proverbs. And there are actually people who 
think that maybe Solomon wasn't responsible for all those Proverbs, but he uh, collected some from others as well. So he was a man full of wisdom, wisdom that wasn't innate to him, but wisdom that he got from God. Um, God is the one who gives wisdom. God is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit who is uh, full of wisdom. And so as we go throughout this study, I'm hoping that you all who are professing believers, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, will be active participants in our study, that we can go through this study together. We can seek collective wisdom from one another, um, but not wisdom that is innate to us, wisdom that we've come across through Scripture in our years of of study and preparation, wisdom that God has given to the church, not just to certain individuals within the church. And so I hope to see a little bit more discussion rather than monologuing. And I know that might not be your jam, but I want (laughs) to encourage you to, to step out because, again, if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and um, it's good to share the wisdom that God has given to each one of us. So with that groundwork, looking at where Solomon got his wisdom um, and the fact that he was just full of wisdom, verse 34 says that men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Um, Let's turn back to Proverbs 1 and... We will dive into this this wisdom from Solomon. So, Proverbs chapter one. We already read verse one. It says that this these proverbs are of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. And I want to take this next chunk, verses two through six. And this really kind of functions as the purpose statement not just for this chapter, but for the whole book of Proverbs. Uh, Solomon writing out, first of all, who he is, and then why it is that he's even embarking on this endeavor to give these Proverbs. So it says in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So again, this is functioning as his purpose statement, why he's writing this, this book, these proverbs. But if we really think about what he's saying here, to to know wisdom, to receive instruction, to give prudence. This is kind of like a superpower. Uh, In fact, when people ask me, well, what would you like to have for your superpower? I think just wisdom, like perfect recall to have the ability to to think and to, to know truth, particularly scripture. I think that would be an amazing superpower, right? And that's what is being laid out for us here. That's why Solomon is putting a pen to paper, really, and and writing this out for us so that we can have wisdom, uh, understanding, knowledge. What would you give to possess these different things? Wisdom and and knowledge, understanding, discernment. Discernment. 
Anything? Do I hear $100? $200 going once, <laughs> right? Um, because again, this is valuable. This is more valuable than you know whatever number we could get to in an auction. This is invaluable. The wisdom that comes from God that is right here for the taking. We don't have to uh, do anything. It's being given to us. Um, we have at our hands, at our disposal, the wisdom from on high. And all we have to do is reach in and, and grab it. And I think oftentimes we want to make it more difficult than that, right? We just looked at 1 Kings 4, but in 2 Kings 5, it talks about Naaman. You guys remember Naaman, the leper? And uh, he wanted to get rid of this leprosy. He was an, an Aramean captain, and he went off to Israel to search for the Israeli king. The Israeli king sent him to Elisha, and Elisha said, well, you really want to get rid of your leprosy. You need to go and dunk in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman thought to himself, that's, that's foolish, right? He was ready and willing and prepared to pay all kinds of money. He had actually taken it along with him. And he was unwilling to dip down in the Jordan River until his servant said, hey, maybe you should give that a chance, right? That's a very simple, very easy thing. You were willing to do a lot more than that. Why don't you just try it? And in his act of faith, his leprosy was gone. But uh, again, thinking about wisdom and how we acquire this wisdom, how we get this wisdom, I think we often want to make it more difficult. And I I think, at least for myself, that I would probably be willing to do something more difficult, like pay a, a large sum of money or go on some large trip if I was promised wisdom. However, doing the simple thing of just opening up our Bible and looking in the, the depths and the riches of Proverbs is something that we're not as apt to do, or again, at least that I am not as apt to do. So looking at these verses, again, in Proverbs 1, 2 through 6, uh, I want you guys to take notes of the verbs that you see used in these verses. Uh, what are the verbs that you see, some of the verbs that you see, and what do you notice about these verbs? What can we glean from these verses, two through six? I actually think of receiving as something that's a little bit more passive, right? Um, and something that, if we're doing these things, so yeah, there are uh, active and, and passive verbs in there, and, um, but none of them are things that are natural to us, right? We're not born with uh, any of the, the nouns in here. We're not born with understanding or behavior or equity. Um, justice, righteousness, these things, they're not natural to us, right? And they're also not things that we can just go out and, and purchase, not things that um, we're born with, but they're things that we are to, to yes, possess in, in one sense, but I think a lot of that comes not from ourselves, right? We're not like digging down within ourselves to, to, do, the, to do that. We are receiving it or um, in verse 5, it says a wise man will hear an increase in learning. And so it's not as if there's more learning or more knowledge, more counsel that's out there that needs to be created or made that we need to 
uh, manufacture, but it's, it's already there, it's already existing, and we just need to uh, make ourselves available to harvest. that wisdom. Yeah, harvest, that's a, a good word. Anything else you guys notice in looking at the verbs, particularly in these verses? Like you said, in order to, to do that, in order to, to teach or to give, we first need to listen or to hear. And again, that verse in verse 5, it's so vital. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. We just need to listen, right? That's, what I, that's how I would summarize all these verses, just to, to listen up. We need to be ready and willing to listen, to take in counsel, uh, this understanding that is out there. We can't glean without first listening. And not only do we need to, to listen to receive it, but we, we can receive it. I think we have a responsibility to receive it. And even more so than, than Solomon or Solomon's son, because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us once again, don't we? We have God within us giving us the ability to know and discern and to receive these things in a way that wasn't accessible to Solomon or to his son or to many of the people that were reading these Proverbs uh, before our day. But we are blessed to live in the day and age that we do now where we have the Holy Spirit who gives us insight and understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Melissa. It has stood out to me that there's no cap on wisdom. Like um, the simple can gain it, but the wise can gain it too. Like we just are, we can ever increase in wisdom yeah. if we listen. But there's not, you don't reach a pinnacle of wisdom and then stop learning. Sorry, Rex. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a pool without depth, isn't it? Um, the Word of God is living and active. It is fresh and vital, and we're never going to fully be able to plumb the depths of the, the wisdom that we get in Scripture. Andy? What? Um, verse 5, we're... At the end, it says, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Um, that implies that there's unwise counsel. Amen. Right? Yep. Spoken about elsewhere in Scripture. <laughs> yeah, right after um, this, he's going to get into it. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that um, everybody has opinions and counsel. Not all counsel is good or wise, mm -hmm. and being discerning in the counsel that you listen to helps you to acquire, acquire wise counsel. Yeah, discernment is key, right? As he says in verse 4, to give prudence to the naive, 
to the youth knowledge and discretion. Uh, discretion is something that we can never have enough of, right? We always need more and more discretion. But as there's more and more uh, just information in the world, more and more opinions, the more prudent it is to be discerning, right? Uh, Proverbs 18:17. the first presentence case seems right until another comes forward and examines him. And so when somebody's speaking, just speaking, it requires us to be discerning to figure out whether or not that's truth that's being spoken or error to test the spirits, right? Any other thoughts on those first six verses? Yeah. So something else I was noticing is that it kind of, to kind of go along with Melissa's point, it's also saying, you know, anyone can get this. You need to know wisdom. Mm-hmm. If you know it, you might not discern it. So you can discern it. If you might not receive the instruction from it. Um, you might be wise, but you can still increase. The youth can still receive it. It's kind of just, this isn't targeted to anybody, any group, to any person. Yeah. Everyone can gain value from this. Amen. Good. Yeah, uh, there are Proverbs that talk about the, the man with gray hair, right? and Or silver hair, and how he has wisdom and understanding. And the, the longer somebody's around, the more life experience they have, the the more you might think, okay, well, they're going to be wise, but it's not a direct correlation, right? That the older you are, the wiser you are, um, unless you are getting your your wisdom from truth, right? There are some very foolish old men, and there are some very wise young men. Um, that's a, a standard principle that the older you are, the wiser you should be, but not always the case, right? There's old fools, too. Yes, indeed. All right, well, let's keep reading on. Uh, Verses 7 through 9 say, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. So, Verse 7 is a, a key verse throughout Proverbs, right? There have been full books written on verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, here in a couple months, Andy's going to be digging into that verse uh, quite a bit more than we are tonight. Um, but just taking this verse and trying to uh, just think about it, look at it for a moment and think about it. Can somebody summarize and maybe rephrase What's going on in Proverbs 1.7? How should we understand this verse? The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Can somebody regurgitate that for us? I don't like that verb. <laughs> <laughs> to, to respect the Lord and realize who He is. That's the beginning. That's, you're just starting there. That's... All right. So you equated uh, fear with respect. That's good. And you identified that as the, the starting place. That's what it says, right? The beginning of knowledge. Um, that's that's key. That's where we have to start with the proper understanding of who God is. And we shouldn't understand this word fear as just trembling, right? 
um, hiding underneath our bed, although there should be some aspect of that. If we have a true understanding of who God is, we should be somewhat uh, shaking, right? But it's more of a, a respect, a, a reverence that we have for God, an understanding of who he is. And if that isn't our starting place, as it says in the following portion of this verse, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we have kind of an, an either or going on here, like we do in a lot of Proverbs, right? You can take path A or path B. You can uh, fear the Lord, which is just the beginning of knowledge. It's not even the epitome of knowledge. As Melissa mentioned, we're never going to have like fully reached knowledge. However, fools despise wisdom and destruction. So one or the other, either or. It's a, it's a deep reverence for the God of truth and justice and wrath. Yeah. I mean, the one that created everything, that holds everything together by each and every each and every moment. Yeah, it's it's deep reverence and yeah, fear sometimes. Yeah, so we can't take God and like dissect his attributes, right? And just look at him as oh, God is only love or God is only merciful. And I think a lot of times, especially in our world, we want to do that, right? We want to uh, ignore the fact that God is wrathful, that God is just, that uh, God hates sin. Uh, even avoiding the term sin altogether, that's not our, our culture, that's not something that makes us happy. But we can't do that. We have to understand and, and fear God fully for who he is, uh, properly defining God. Especially when I've sinned, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, and in verses 8 and 9, that transitions a little bit to, to parenting and as I said we're going to talk about parenting here in a couple of weeks though I don't think that these verses are entirely separated right verses 7 and 8 and 9 they're still connected how is verse 7 connected to verses 8 and 9 what's going on there what are the similarities God has put parents over children, so children, by listening and obeying, listening to and obeying their parents, are in doing so obeying God. All right. Good. Did you hear that, Abby? <laughs> I don't say that because you're sitting next to your parents. I say that because you're about to be a parent, and that's something I have to remind my kids of often, uh, and I'm sure that you other parents do as well, because we don't have any authority on our own, right? We are, uh, we are deacons of God on high. We've been given a responsibility. And really, when our kids either obey or disobey their parents, they're obeying or disobeying God. And that's of much greater consequence than whether or not they obey us, isn't it? Any other thoughts on those verses? What's that? For a child, the parents, whether they realize or not, they're the primary source of that child's knowledge. I mean, yeah, we send them off to school and stuff, but they spend much more time with the parents. Hopefully. And, uh, and especially early in their formative years. Hmm. You know, almost all their knowledge gained in those formative years, huh? everything is from their parents. 
and to despise that or, or you know, to be rebellious against it. Uh, that's a bad start. <laughs> it's not wise, is it? And, yeah, notice here that uh, it's put on the, the kid, right? I mean, we can look at it from a, a parent standpoint and say, okay, well, we need to, as fathers, provide instruction. As mothers, we need to provide teaching. Uh, but really, this is directed at the children to accept and to embrace, not to forsake your mother's teaching. And I think that can be helpful for us, too, especially if we have kids who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. If they grow up and we have wayward children, uh, to, I mean, not like punt or just give ourselves a free pass, but to realize that um, we're only responsible for what God has called us to be responsible for, right? To provide instruction, to provide teaching. And um, just because a child ignores that or forsakes it doesn't um, necessarily mean that, that we're bad parents. In verse 8, where he says, hear my son, that's a, a phrase that you'll see over and over again throughout Proverbs, especially in the first nine chapters. And it's thought that Solomon is talking to his literal son, right, to one of his offsprings here. And you and I, we're just kind of along for the ride. We're getting to see this desire that Solomon has for his son, that he would, in fact, follow his father's teaching. He wouldn't uh, forsake his mother's teaching. Uh, and then gets very specific throughout the following chapters. But just having that picture in my mind kind of helps me to know, okay, well, Solomon, he's like really sitting down writing this for his son because he cares for him, because he wants the best for him. He's given the best that he can to his son. And again, we get to just be a, a fly on the wall and glean from this wisdom, from this understanding that Solomon, the, the wisest man who's ever lived, who received his wisdom from God directly, is imparting the best that he has to his son. And we're along for the ride. All right, well, let's look at verses 10 through 19. 10 through 19. And as we do this, I want you guys to pay attention to these warnings of Solomon and see if we can identify what it is that Solomon is warning his son about. So starting in verse 10, he says again, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throwing your lot with us, we shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. So, again, I know there's a lot there. What are some of the things that we see Solomon warning against in that passage? There are a number of things. Throw them out. What was that, Mike? Avoid bad company. All right, good. Avoid bad company. Peer pressure kind of things. Yeah, good. That's kind of where he starts off, right? 
in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they, that is sinners, say, come with us. So yeah, that's what he's warning against. That's like the, the overall picture, right? Be careful who you hang out with. Watch out for this bad company. And what specific things is he worried about this bad company imparting on his son? Yeah. It's kind of a big deal, right? Some uh, very vital consequences there. What are some of the specific concerns that Solomon has? Ambushing innocent people. All right. For no reason. Killing them. Taking their things for spoil. Yeah. Worried about uh, murder, right? Um, gaining wealth in a way that they shouldn't be, having that as kind of their focus. And uh, Solomon talks all about wealth. He says a number of different things about wealth throughout the Proverbs. Uh, but specifically here, just right at the beginning, he makes a point to highlight that. And then he has to hasten to shed blood. So there are a number of different things in here that are specifically tied with the company of sinners, to watch out for sinners. And you'll note in verse 15, he says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. And so he's worried about this. Uh, whenever you see walk in scripture, it's talking about a, a repetitive action, right? It's not just something that you do like one time, kind of flirt with this here or there, but uh, it's a, a way of life. He's saying, do not uh, be associated with them but watch out for them. Don't have close association with sinners uh, because that's going to be detrimental to our personal walk. In all of that, Tyler, I see selfishness. Ways to please your flesh. Ways to Absolutely. please yourself. <clears throat> yeah, always looking out for number one. And he's saying, don't go down that path. Don't get sucked into that, right? Well, it's also talking about bloodshed. Consistently, it says it in verse 11 and verse 16. Mm -hmm. um, you know, talking about people who are violent, basically, mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's part of the result, part of the fruit of selfishness, mm -hmm. of caring about yourself. And the result is that you care about others less, right? You, you put them down here, so you put yourself up here. It's really in the gang mentality. Yeah. You all think of the old outlaw gangs or the street gangs we have today. It's all the same way. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get together as a group. We'll be strong and take what we want. You know? Do you guys remember 1 Corinthians 15, 33? What does that say about bad company? Not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. All right. You even remember the first part. Do not be misled. <laughs> good. That's important because... I think we often forget that part. Do not be misled. Do not be deceived that bad company corrupts good morals. I think we're all too eager to be deceived of that. We, we're self-deceived in that respect. Like, oh, I, I don't need to worry about that, right? I'm okay. I'm not going to fall into that trap. Or, or my, kid, my kids are good kids, and they're actually going to be a, a good influence on these other neighborhood brats or whatever, right? They're not going to uh, be influenced by the bad kids. No, do not be deceived. Do not be misled, right? Or as it says here again in verse 50, my son, do not walk in the way with them. 
keep your feet from their path. We're not above uh, being misled. We're not the exception by any means. And it's a temptation for everybody. Here specifically, we're talking about kids or children. Mm -hmm. But we all want to be liked. We all want to hang out with people who like us that are fun, whatever. And there's a temptation even for us as adults to... To compromise? To compromise, to go yes. and hang out with people that are corrupt, older people, like myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's not what we're called to, right? We have a, a higher calling. We're called not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed in the renewing of our mind. Right. Um, to, to make a, a separation, not to uh, associate too closely with sinners, right? Not to walk in the way of sinners. Yeah. Psalm, the very first verse of all the Psalms says the yeah. same thing and says there's a blessing with it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Yeah. Now with the progression in that passage too, right? Getting more and more comfortable with association with the sinner, walking and standing and sitting ultimately with these sinners. And the, the psalmist and, and Solomon here in the Proverbs alike are, are warning against that, realizing that uh, that is our natural propensity as fallen sinful humans and warning against that so that we don't fall into that trap, but we continue to be set apart to live a life that is worthy of the calling we've received. Any other thoughts? Yeah. They, by the time the parents find out, the kids are like, well, I didn't know. It didn't start out like that. And yeah. You shouldn't have ever, you know. And we have to remember that kids are just dumb, right? I mean, that sounds harsh, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, God has put parents in the lives of kids because they need parents. Um, dumb. Yeah. <laughs> dumb. yeah. You're you're completely glad to hold on to that word, huh? Yeah. To, to embrace it. I, I'm perfectly satisfied with that word. Yeah. <laughs> um, and kids just act differently around their friends. Um, I, like you said, it's not just kids. Everybody acts differently around other people because we're seeking to impress. Uh, I've noticed with my own kids, they'll act differently when they hang out with your kids. And I love your guys' kids. You guys have good kids, and I want them to hang out with your kids and not with, you know, other sinners who are <laughs> sitting in the seat of scoffers. However, even with your good kids, they, they act differently because they want to put on a show. They want to impress. Um, they, they have a different mindset about them. And we need to constantly warn them that their, their walk with the Lord is more important than their walk with their friends, even their good friends. What's going on in, in verse 17? I had to go back and read that a couple times. You guys have any thoughts on this interesting verse in 17? It says, Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. 
bird doesn't understand what the feed is put out there for them to be caught. So it's a diversion. So, you know, just to catch them unexpectedly. And that's what happens to people. They get drawn into something. They're not thinking about what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's a trap without even realizing it, isn't it? Well, the, yeah, and the, in the context, it is useless to spread the baited net in the side of any bird. In other words, the bait is there if... But if they see... If they see it being spread in front of them, mm -hmm. they'll know. So the baited net is, is like, it has to be has to be done when, when the birds aren't around. So in other words, there's volition there. You're, you're hiding something by, spray, by spreading the baited net when no one is around. It's a, it's a lure, right? Yeah. Just like Mike said. The Proverbs are awesome, because you can go back and read something, again, several times and just be like, wait, what? And make more application to it and just dig deeper and uh, yeah, just, the, the way that they're put is awesome. I want to read this uh, quote to you from Sid Bazell. He says in his commentary about this verse, uh, if you got mad at me for saying kids are dumb, you'll probably not like his wording either. <laughs> he said, birds are smart enough to avoid a net that they see spread out to catch them. But these gangsters, like somebody mentioned, uh, are more stupid than birds. These gangsters more stupid than birds not only see the trap, they even set it for themselves. They lie in wait to shed others' blood, but they themselves are caught in their own trap. And so, yeah, he's comparing them to these birds, saying, yeah, these, these birds, they're not going to go and eat that bait when they see that it was set, and they know there's a trap there. But these gangsters, they're set in their own trap, and they don't even care. They walk right into it, not realizing, well, it's oftentimes not even caring that the bad company that they're surrounding themselves with is corrupting to their morality, corrupting their walk. Uh, we ought not to be dumber than birds, right? Well, how many gangsters get shot because they're hanging out with a gang? Yeah. I mean, it's, Unfortunately, it's ubiquitous. It happens all the time. Yeah, it's inevitable, right? That's kind of the, the point of this section, just that crime doesn't pay. You might think it does initially, but ultimately it's going to catch up with you. It doesn't pay. If we jump down to verse 32, it says, For the waywardness of the, na of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. It's inevitable. It's inescapable. Uh, can I get somebody to flip over to Proverbs 23:17 and read that verse for us? Proverbs 23:17. That's a, a good one to put on your memory verse list. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. All right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. What are some ways that we can do that, that we end up doing that, living uh, in envy of sinners, jealous of sinners? Some have lots of money. Yeah. Yeah, there are uh, gangsters and uh, drug dealers out there, uh, thieves that can make more in a day than we can make in a year of 
honest work, right? And that can be tempting, that can be compelling, taking shortcuts for financial gain. It's not just gangsters. I mean, I work in a corporate setting and I know guys that are as profane as any gangster I've ever seen on the streets. Yeah. You really want the real money. White collar crime's where it's at, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of embezzlement. Yep. And it's not, I mean, they're doing a job and they're getting compensated for it, but um, I, I knew a guy that he came up one time and this was in a different industry, but he walked up and he said, hey, Andy, look at this watch. And I'm like, oh, that's a nice watch, Ethan. And he's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's a Rolex. I'm like, oh, nice. I'm like, how much did that cost you? It's like, I think it was $5,000. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, that's a, it's a nice watch. <laughs> you know? It, it, in other words, the temptations can come from many different directions. It can't yeah. just be the, you know, rolling with the money and the drugs. It can be, it can be anything. And not only within ourselves do we have this sinful desire, just naturally, to be envious of sinners, but it's compounded when you have sinners wanting you to be envious of them, yeah. right? That's yep. the commercial world that we live in. Uh, everybody wanting you to be envious of what somebody else has to be greedy and to to want more, never to be content. That's just constantly in front of our faces. I don't know, it can be even as simple as like their lives on earth. I mean, as a Christian, we have to actively crucify our flesh and deny what we really want. Mm -hmm. uh, not what we really want, but like what our flesh wants. And, you know, I feel like sinners Granted, they don't have everlasting life in Christ, but their life on earth is so much simpler to just give in to those temptations and not actively have to yeah. self-discern and be in prayer and constantly self-correct and stuff like that. I mean, their lives here just seem so much simpler and it's simple to just envy that. Yeah. Yeah, there's something enticing about that, right? Just not living your life as if you're not accountable to anybody, even though we know that ultimately we're all going to stand before Christ on the day of judgment, but they're just living in lives that are oblivious to that, right? That goes into the setting your own trap. I mean, with that, yep. I mean if you're setting your own trap, you're going to do evil deeds, mm -hmm. and your trap is at the end of this life. So if you're setting out traps for others and doing wrong, and you said they're going to ensnare you. There are people who are doing that, right? People who leave the church, um, some for a season, some uh, indefinitely, because they desire the world and the things that the world has to offer. The less of the flesh, less of the pride, or less of the flesh, less of the eyes and the pride of life. Yeah. Um, they, they want those things. They don't want to uh, put on the, the armor of God. They don't want to war against the flesh. It's just easier to, to give in. And there's something enticing about that. And again, that's why we're being warned over and over again throughout scripture. Well, being a Christian is a, anybody who says that all of your troubles just go away when you accept Christ and when you believe mm -hmm. is lying. Yeah. The Christian life is, is a battle yeah. daily. I'm sure it'd be easy. Uh -uh. 
what Alice Cooper said. He said being a Christian is way harder than being an alcoholic, drug addict, rocker. Yeah, because you're not able to just give in to the flesh, right? The worried about you. You're doing that. Yeah. I mean, Satan, he's going to come after the people that are following Christ, and I think harder than than the people that are just going through. Even if they're not a bad, yeah, he's not worried about them. He's not worried about them. They're doing. He, they're doing what he what he wants. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Yeah. I do think it's. I do think it's interesting when you see people that appear like they have all, they have money, they have all these toys, they have all these things that most people want. And when you get into their, if you get a peek into their family life, it's an absolute mess. Mm -hmm. Either their kids are going rogue, or their marriage is falling apart, or they've got alcoholism, or all these different things that, that's why when we're, you know, a lot of people just brush off as like behind closed doors, but but in the moment, it doesn't always seem like that when we're being tempted no. with sin, right? Uh, the lips of an adulteress dripping with honey, like, yep. and that's not just for men, right? Women, you have your own um, parallels or whatever, that stolen water from another cistern tastes better. Um, just, and it's not just the, the things that we do, but the things that we uh, kind of like you were saying, the things that we're supposed to do that we could neglect by uh, envying sinners and, and living a life of sin. Uh, how much more money would we have to spend if we didn't give to the church, if we didn't give to missionaries, if we didn't do the things that God has called us to do, if we didn't take the time to uh, seek to be holy, how much more time would we have in our lives? So, yeah, it's not just the the things that we actively do, it's the... Uh, sins of omission, if you will. And we're constantly having to battle against the flesh and um, realize that we are in a, a spiritual war. Jim, you were going to say something a minute ago? Well, I was just talking about creating a trap for yourself. It talks about they join in together because they're going to take stuff from other people. And, and of course, then who's your target? Your target is people that have some sort of wealth money, possessions, whatever. If you ever have, if you ever gain money, possession, wealth while you're doing this stuff, you become a target as much as a part. Yeah, and the end is death. Again, it, it <laughs> seems enticing for a moment, but you realize the, the end is destruction. Crime doesn't pay. It always catches up with you. Uh, again, we are all one day going to stand before the judgment throne of God and give an account for not just the things that we do, for every careless word that we speak, uh, we're gonna be held accountable. And so we need to uh, be on guard, we need to be especially careful of those that we associate ourselves with, that we hang out with, um, and um, we need to separate ourselves from sinners rather than from sound judgment. I wanna read for us. Did Solomon separate himself from sinners? <laughs> he, he gave that advice, didn't he? Uh, and I mean, he I, had the concubines and all there, pretty much in idolatry and everything. So he, he was in a trap. He was baited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he had the the intellectual knowledge, right? True. Uh, but he didn't put it into practice. It's Maybe even that's more why sad he wrote for this that bad proverb. Yeah. Somebody has been politically wise because most most of 
or many of them, were daughters of other kings and princes and whatever. And that was the peace. With everybody but God. <laughs> with everybody but God. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yep. He thought he was being wise. And yeah, he was uh, forsaking his father's instruction and his mother's teaching, wasn't he? In Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2, it says, He who separates himself seeks his own desires. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. So again, we need to separate ourselves from the, the proper thing. We need to separate ourselves from sinners, not from uh, sound wisdom. Uh, we need to separate ourselves from our sinful desires. And just looking at this first half of Proverbs 1, uh, verses 1 through 6 really talking about listening and telling us several times in, in different ways to, to know wisdom, to discern, to receive it, uh, to, again, use discretion and knowledge uh, to understand. All this we could summarize with saying we need to listen, we need to pay attention, we need to be on guard. Looking at verses 7 through 9, we need to fear God, and that will manifest itself in fearing other authorities that God has put in place over us. And then verses 10 through 19, we need to separate from sinners. And if we take all three of those uh, different groups, those different headings to listen and to fear God and to separate from sinners, I think we could summarize those by saying that we need to be sanctified, right? We need to live lives that are set apart that are different, that aren't going to be sucked in with the, the milieu of the world, with these sinners that um, are, are seeking to entice us, seeking to trap us. And so I want to finish by going to the New Testament and looking at a couple of passages on sanctification, how we who are in Christ are to be sanctified. So uh, let's turn to... Actually, turn to Colossians. I'm going to turn to Philippians real quick and just read a single verse from Philippians chapter 1. Um, all right, Philippians 1, 27. It says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, or worthy of Christ. Uh, just stopping and pausing right there. I mean, that's... A, a mouthful, right? To conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. Well, that's like a bar way up here, right? Uh, it's an impossible bar, but it's what we're called to, to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ and gives a purpose right here. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we are to conduct ourselves, is what it says, no matter where they're Christ, and then it immediately goes into fellowship, something that we're doing together with one another, uh, with one spirit, unified. It's not something we can do isolated, off on our own, if we truly want to live in a manner worthy of Christ. Um, and then, of course, it goes on in 
Philippians 2 to talk about Christ and how he is our example in humility, how we are to consider others as more important than ourselves um, by looking to Christ, by imitating Christ, and doing so together, not isolated. But in Colossians, where I wanted us to go, Colossians 2, 20. Um, can I get somebody to read Colossians 2, 20 through 23? And then after that, somebody else to pick up in chapter 3 and read 3, 1 through 5. Who's got 2, 20 to 23? All right, Evelyn. And then 3, 1 through 5. Uh, wow, that was a lot. Mike, we'll go with you. <laughs> Yeah, 2, 20 through 23, please. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. <clears throat> Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, <clears throat> setting your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and, you, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. <clears throat> Therefore, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to moral, immorality, impurity, and passion, and desire and greed with amounts of idolatry. All right, thank you. So, going back up to 220, it says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, that's uh, assuming that we have died with Christ to these elementary principles. Uh, a couple of different ways you can go with that. You can say, okay, well, since I've died to these things, I am uh, absolutely free. I get to live a, a life of licentiousness. We are indeed free in Christ, but we are not free to live a, a licentious life of sin. But he goes on here to say that our freedom is reason why we're not bound under the law. We're not um, bound to these different uh, rules, which he says have the appearance of wisdom because we have died with Christ, because we um, are united with him, not just in his death. He goes on in chapter 3 to talk about how we have been raised up with Christ again. And having been raised up with Christ, we are in the heavenlies positionally, uh, according to Hebrews. That's a crazy idea. That's nuts. That uh, We are uh, perfect. We are redeemed. Our our position in Christ is uh, perfect. We're, we're not there practically, right? But God looks at us and he sees us as redeemed and perfect. And Paul here is saying, we need to have our minds there. We need to have a, a heavenly mindset because he counts us as uh, already having been raised up with Christ. We need to live our lives accordingly. We need to set our minds on things above rather than things on the earth. And doing that will result in verse 5, the fact that we are now considering our members, the members of our earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, and 
things which amount to idolatry. That's our, our past life, right? Why are we continuing to live as Gentiles if we are uh, renewed in Christ, right? We are to live a life that is consistent with the calling that we've received. Thoughts or questions on that passage? Sure. Since we're here in Colossians, can you connect the uh, way that we are to apply Proverbs in our lives as Christians with Colossians 2-3 that tells us in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Yeah, we're definitely going to hit on this more probably, especially in chapter 8. But uh, yeah, in Christ are hidden not just some, but all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, we we kind of are making a jump here, and we will throughout our series between the, the Old Testament and Proverbs to the New Testament, where we, as I've mentioned, we are in Christ. We are living in a, a different dispensation, different time, where we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Um, and we need to keep that distinction in mind, but realize that we are in Christ. But as such, being in Christ, um, we have access to all of the, the wisdom and knowledge. Not, again, in ourselves. It's not innate to us. It's not something we're born with. Um, not something we go out, can go out and buy, but it's something we find in Christ. He is the, the source, not just for us, but for everybody, of all wisdom and knowledge. And the world might try to... Um, borrow from our worldview, they might try to, and, and they do, they piggyback on our worldview, acting as if uh, truth is truth, as if error is error, as if there is truly something that is right or wrong or good or bad, and they'll make these statements without being able to substantiate that um, Christ is the one who is holding all things together. Um, if we don't start with Christ, going back to Proverbs 1-7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, then we're not going to be able to consistently uh, apply morality at all in life. I rambled quite a bit. Do you have something else in mind specifically? No, just okay. thought that the closer we are to Christ, the closer we are to wisdom. Amen. All right. Any other thoughts or questions on... Proverbs 1 or Colossians or anything else we talked about as we seek to wrap up? I have a question. Yeah. So the Colossians 20 to 23, um, is that referring to, because it says self-made religion and self-basement. Mm -hmm. So is that referring to like non-biblical rules? Yeah, it's condemning a practice called asceticism that was uh, especially popular in the early church where people would deny themselves from certain things. So they would fast from uh, food unnecessarily, certain foods or um, from sex or just whatever. And they would, it, it happens today, right? In religions all around us where they have a, a list. These are things that you're not allowed to eat. This is our, uh, our word of wisdom, right? That we say, these aren't allowed. Um, and it has, as this mentions, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. It, it seems right 
that we should deny ourselves these good things. It seems right that um, we should deny ourselves sleep or you know whatever it is, but it's um, condemning them. It's not saying that we should embrace that. There is a, a right way to, to fast, but not in order to um, to gain righteousness or, or godliness with God because we have already died with Christ. Like the end of it, like our no value against fleshly indulgence. Say it again. Put our no value against fleshly indulgence. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, a pseudo wisdom, right? Just has the appearance of wisdom, but no weight. So I hate to piggyback on what he's saying, but there is a religion that calls for celibacy in a certain group of people within it. And that group is unfortunately notorious for breaking that celibacy in multiple different ways. Yeah. It doesn't, asceticism does not lead to godliness. Absolutely. All right, well, we don't typically have homework on Wednesday nights, but I'm gonna push you guys and challenge you a little bit with some homework for next week. There are uh, a number of Proverbs that we should know, right? There, there's a plethora of wisdom within the book of Proverbs. And this week, I want you guys to see if you can find a, a proverb that you can incorporate into your prayer life, that you can adopt to use in your prayer life. Um, there are several prayers, like legitimate prayers that you can just adopt, or uh, principles that you can take and adapt into a prayer. And then I want to see if we can get a few people to come and share that with us next week. A proverb that you've taken and adapted to a prayer that we can also glean from and benefit from ourselves. Pamela. I just want to, um, on when was thinking about what um, Andrew and Stacy's daughter was thinking about the wicked will be injured. In Psalms 37, it says, Do not fret because of evildoers, be not envious toward wrongdoers. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 12 and 13, the wicked plots against the righteous, righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day coming. Amen. Because when we go, it's, the converse is like what God in Deuteronomy is life or death. That's the, that's the bottom line. We either choose life, God, yep. or death our own way. And God sees the, the day of the wicked coming. And he's warning us so that we don't envy the days of Christ. It's not going to be good. It's easy to say, hard to do, isn't it? Yeah. Again, that's why we need, yeah, that's right. need each other. It's harder to do isolated alone. All right, let's pray and ask God for wisdom. God, we thank you for being the the fount of all wisdom, that in you are hidden all the the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. And God, we are so in need of you. We, We don't have any of that wisdom innately. We are dependent upon you. We thank you that you are... You are the almighty. You are the the all-powerful God. And you have made yourself available to us that though you are high and exalted and live in a high and lofty place, you have made yourself contrite and lowly. And uh, you are our our sympathetic high priest who who can sympathize with everything we've been through. You 
you know what it is to, to be human yet without sin. God, help us to, to lean on you, help us to trust in you and to, uh, to rely on your body that you have given us for, for our sanctification to help hold us accountable and to, uh, to teach us how to, to live in righteousness. God, help us to, to honor you in everything we do. Help us not to be enticed by the way of sinners. Help us not to walk in the way of sinners, but to live a, a life that is holy and set apart unto you. God, keep us as we uh, seek to, to be a light for you and to shine in the midst of a curtain depraved universe. Amen. Amen.